Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about the skeleton of a three-pound bass, breaking down in the middle of an intersection, fish not biting after dark, and we dive deep into chasing deep nomadic bass. Hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm hoping today is going to be a good quality podcast because for a change, we're not recording at before first light. It is actually the middle of the day. I'm sitting in my garage in Arizona, absolutely sweating my tail off. And uh, it's because I've got two kids inside sleeping, but these two that I'm with, they look very comfortable. How, uh, how are you guys doing? Nick, let's start with you, dude. Uh, it's just so comfortable, man. I'm just sitting in here in this beautiful air conditioned house. This is the first podcast that I've been able to record inside my own house, probably in 2021. I feel like I'm always in the garage with you, but, uh, you know, I pay the bills around here. So I kicked everyone out. I I'm letting them know who's boss now. You just got up early this morning and put the pants on, didn't you? Well, <laughs> Rob, I like to tell people, I put the pants on. My wife just tells me which ones to wear. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Well said. Olivia, uh, I still am uh, not there yet, apparently. What, did you I apologize to Josh because he uh, he also wears pants that his wife picks out for him? Or? Well, he obviously slept in and didn't get them. So. No, it's my, my kids are at school, so I, uh, I have that flexibility. And I'm in my dad's little palace in my house, and he's in Wyoming, the islands of Wyoming, for the rest of the summer. So... Just, uh, I don't even have to wear clothes in my own house right now. It's wonderful. Just cruising around. Too much, too much information for me. Oh, Rob, you know you want details, but everything else has been good, man. We, uh, see, it's been like two weeks since we've all talked and caught up. I'm excited to hear about Josh's uh, adventures up in the great state of New York. I know we'll get to that in a little while. And as for me, um, I've just been kind of living in my decrepit redneck paradise playing with all my toys that don't work and trying to to fix them um you guys know i've been messing around with the bilge pump on my boat and uh waiting on parts now for that kind of came to the realization that i haven't had a functioning bilge pump on my boat probably throughout most of my ownership of it so i'm glad i found that out with it on a trailer in my backyard versus in five footers 10 miles dude. from the ramp. Hey, did that video I posted, did that make you think about your bilge pump or, or <laughs> did you actually just think about it on your own? Oh, so I, I had had a little inkling prior to this and Mitch and Mark and any of our buddies that are listening, yeah. that went to Mitch's bachelor's party are all laughing because, you know, she almost went down that day because the libel has a crack in it. And so it was watering itself thoroughly. But I did see your Instagram video about a day after I had started the project and I was like, oh, I don't want that to be me. Dude, how scary was that? Well, it looked a lot. I'll tell you what, it was, it was very rough out that day. There's no doubt it was very rough. And we'll get into the tournament here shortly. But like, it was the first day of practice. They called for 10 mile an hour wind. And it was like, just sustained 20 the entire day. Oh. And Champlain is, is, is a rough lake to begin with. But that picture, actually, I only got my phone after two thirds of the water had already drained out. <laughs> you should have seen it. At first, dude, I mean, it was like, it was almost up to my knees in the, oh. uh, it was, but here's the funny thing. I had been running on pad through so all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and in that scenario right there, like an idiot, I was idling, trying to eat a sandwich. Uh. And um, <laughs> I was like looking down, not paying attention. And I just, you know how when you're idling, you could just turn it the wrong way at just the wrong just speed eat it. and dump. Uh, <laughs> So that's what had happened in that picture. Actually, like I didn't spear one on a pad, which is good. Um, but that was just a, an absolute <laughs> stupid moment from idling. And when you take that much water in across the boat, there's the compartments are 99% waterproof. But you take something like that, everything in the boat is wet. 
Uh, and that's a big reason it's sitting behind me right now is that one wave that was part of it. But um, uh, anyways, dude, sorry to how, cut you off, but how'd the sandwich also, fare? Yeah. <laughs> I held it up. The sandwich okay. was fine, dude, but it, it was one of those things where, you know, like as soon as that, that water's coming over the bow before I even get wet, you know, it was just like, damn it. You know, like, yeah, you, you're just mad at yourself because it was completely my fault. Avoidable. Yeah, like it just had to not have the boat turn in that direction for that wave. But what well, I think you just did it for Insta. Yeah, he's got you for his followers. Time. <laughs> well, nothing like. like it looking like your boat might be going down to uh, get a few reactions. So smart that we need a few posts like that on our Instagram for the podcast so we can get our listener count up. We need to do yeah. something dramatic. Don't fix that bilge pump quite yet, dude. Let's get it out. <laughs> dude, Need it's up. a. It's been a it's been a marathon with that too. I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have something of value? No, no, go for it. Sweet. Yeah, you know, and it uh it, it's one of those things I, I I can't run 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 down one of those bilge pumps locally. So sadly it's been sitting there. I'm waiting on parts and uh we've had so much freaking rain, dude. Arizona's not known for this much rain and my poor boat's been taking a beating on it and uh is what it is. But I think this might be a little bit funnier. Uh if you recall, do you remember old Big Mike? Yeah. The, the beloved 1984 GMC four-door dually pickup truck that has airbags and problems galore. So, so Big Mike uh, has been spending the summer back at the guy who's done a lot of work on it. We're, we're ironing out wrinkles on it. And the last one was gauges. I, uh, I bought some actual like name brand, nice gauges for it. So I could, you know, it's kind of scary to drive something and have no idea how much oil pressure it has. No idea if it's overheating. I'm not so worried about how fast I'm going. Cause you can kind of gauge that off traffic and anything over 65, it has a death wobble that will make you slow it back down. So I, you know, I just was like, I'll get around to gauges. Ain't no thing. So we put gauges in it and I went to pick it up. And uh, he's like 30 minutes from my house and probably 25 miles, eh, 20 miles, and 15 of them are on the freeway to get home. And so I get in it, and unfortunately, like, of the five gauges, two of them are working pretty good, and then the other three are not working. It's like, what the heck? You've had this forever. Whatever. I'm going to take off in it. We should be fine. Well, one of the gauges that was not working was the fuel gauge, but it was reading completely full. And so I was like, all right, well, like, you know, that was cool. He put gas in it for me anyways. So I, I drove all the way home. I got on the freeway and most of the freeway has no shoulder right now because of the construction that they're doing on it. And if you drive something that you don't trust, anytime you go near a free on the freeway where there's no shoulder, you, you clench up because you, you have a problem. It's going to be a problem. So I made it all the way freeway. I'm sitting at the busiest stoplight in Gilbert, Val Vista and Germain three seconds from my house like i have like one more turn and i'm home and i drive with earplugs in because it's so loud oh my god so i'm sitting here and i'm just like profusely sweating it's one o'clock in the afternoon it's 90 percent humidity and 100 degrees outside and but i have gauges that like at my water temperature gauge it doesn't overheat big wind so i'm sitting there and i'm just doing my thing and it coughs like the engine coughs and it's like whoa like it does a lot of things, but that has been like one of the few components of that truck that's been solid. And then it coughed again. And then it dawned on me. I was like, Oh no, I'm running out of gas. Right. As the green arrow turned on, I ran out of gas and it shut off. And I was like, Oh, dang it. Like I'm so close. So like the seven mile long pileups forming behind me in this busy intersection in Gilbert. And I'm looking in the rear view mirror, making eye contact with the guy next to me, like waving him on like, Hey bro, like, I didn't just decide to like park in front of an intersection and watch lights turn. You should go around me. Did people honk? Oh, dude, honked. And, Did they honk? <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a finger. <laughs> and so luckily the guy who pulled around me, good karma, was an off-duty police officer. He was just finishing up his shift. And so he was, he was a good Samaritan. He stopped. And so I was like, I tell you what, man, like I have 20 bucks in my pocket. Please just get me a gas can and a gallon of gas. Like he was offering to help. So I was like, thank you. That would be tremendous. So he goes and does his thing. Well, meanwhile, like an idiot, I kept cranking it thinking that even though it's out of gas, I bet I can at least just get it to start. I could drive through the intersection and get out of, you know, a safer spot. Didn't do that. Just crank 10 more times. So then when he shows up with the tank of gas, right, I put the tank of gas in it and I go to fire it up and it's cranking 
and the fuel pressure is building, you know, it's got to go through the lines and everything. It starts and then it dies again because it just was needing, you know, when you run out of gas, it just needs a, it just needs some love. The next time I went to start it, the battery was dead. Oh, so I'm like 45 minutes into blocking traffic at this point, And now I have a dead battery. And I felt so bad. Like the, the guy was not a believer, you know, my like backyard mechanicing standing next to this just abomination of a vehicle. I was like, I tell you what, man, just go. Like I probably could get it to work with a jump, but you've been here so long. Just go. You're good. I'll figure something out. So he called it in to some poor desk duty police officer who's probably been like getting punished because he's having to work a desk job. And so I waited, I was on the side of the road for an hour and uh, the guy came and uh, he got me jumped and everything was good. And I drove it home, but I thought to myself how lucky I was because a, an off duty cop stopped because that's super helpful. And then B, if that would have ran out of gas on the 202 where there's no shoulder oh. and I blocked the right lane of traffic for an hour, that would have been amazingly worse. Dude, I don't even know why you own a vehicle that puts you in this situation in the first place. Like, you, you don't have to be there, dude. Else. I know. But there's just something about it, man. Like, it's got so much horsepower and so much raw ability to kill you when you're driving. It just keeps you alive. You don't have an Angler's Happy Hour sticker on that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I need to wrap it. The Angler's Happy Hour would be like six yeah. miles that truck actually pretty well represents the podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> Dude, that is true. That should be the official tow vehicle of the English Happy Hour podcast. That's a good way to get listeners too. Just make that thing break down in the middle of an intersection. <laughs> a lot of people will see it for sure. Oh, man. You know, it's funny. He drove a really nice, pretty uh, newish couple year old Denali one ton four door truck, you know, Sierra. And when he was behind me, people are honking and not going around. But then as soon as they saw my completely ratty ghetto 35-year-old truck with a door open, they were going around at like 300 feet in front. Then it was like, that guy's broken down. And on the freeway, you talk about, it's like you smell bad or something. No one gets near me in that thing. Like I have a, a buffer all around me of no cars within like 100 feet. It's glorious. <laughs> what a mess, dude. I love it, though. That's, it. That's a good one, Nick. Dude, I'm so impressed. Good. I, I one time uh, I'm gonna move on because it's a fishing podcast, but I was at Home Depot in it, and uh, it's got long tube headers into like kind of in a kind of a little tiny bullet muffler, and then three inch straight pipes. So suffice to say, it's extraordinarily loud. It's got a giant cam in it. So I was at Home Depot one day, and I saw this guy walking behind it. It's like if I start it right now, he's gonna jump out of his skin. So I waited like a nice person. I let him go by, and then I don't know, just put the key, hit it. And I looked in the mirror and someone else had did, walked behind it. That person jumped like five feet because he was right where the exhaust dumped out <laughs> by the cat. Dude, he left like five feet. It was great. Felt bad, but I didn't really. You love it. That's great. My neighbors hate it, but I love it. So That's funny. Well, that's cool, man. Rob, What uh, what's up your way, dude? Again, I got nothing that can follow that up. No, that's pretty rough. You're on the water today, though, right? I was. I've been on the water a couple times, and it's been so bad that I haven't uh, even told anyone. So, it's oh, your man. Not, not, today was no bueno either. No, just struggling. But whatever. You're, you're pleasant today, right? I was. I was. Yeah. Was Did just... the boils ever happen out there this year? I feel like I saw hardly anything about that. Yeah, I don't know if it. I think fishing's been pretty good out there. I just, I've just been missing it, man. I, I'm in that funk of like. I'm in an area and I feel like I need to be somewhere else. So uh, I know I need to get rid of that, but. That's a so. tough lake to just, you know, if you're, if you've got the fish pegged and you're staying on them, that's yep. it's, it can be an awesome lake, but man, yep. to show up and fish it once a month is really tough. Well, my problem is, is like, I, and I know people go through this and like guys that are professional tournament anglers like yourself, Josh, like you can't be like this because, and what I'm getting at is I'm, I'm trying to do too much in too little time and trying to get on fish for guide trips and trying to, and I, I'm just forcing it. And I, I know what I'm doing. I just got to get out of it. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. It's, it's very similar to tournament fishing. You look at the beginning of my season, it was like that, dude. Like yeah. it's just, you know, fishing is fishing, whether you're guiding or fun fishing or in a tournament and, and confidence is still has a huge factor with that. But yeah. hopefully you have just one really good trip here in the next, you know, next, next time you go out and just, 
flip that. Yeah, fortunately, none of them have been trips. They've just been me out fishing. So oh, I think that's, that's part of it. I can't catch them. I'm just a good guide. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that is what it is. You finally but, figured it out. But in fishing though, like I've always been, I consider myself a pretty slow learner. Like I need a lot of time to pre-fish. Uh, I don't think I could do the MLF style where you guys have a day and a half to figure out a giant body of water. Um, obviously in time I'd probably get better at it, but I, I feel like I'm a slow learner as far as just like I slowly figure stuff out. So I hear that. Well, that's, that process is part of the fun too. Like that's it what is. I yeah. love practicing. Some people don't like practice dude, but if I could practice five days for every tournament, I would, I would jump all over it. I would yeah. love it. And for every tournament winner there, every time a guy wins a tournament, he has spent countless days on the water, not catching them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, so. that's the truth, dude. It's, it's, that's the truth, man. Because you're looking for such, you're you, to be looking for tournament winning fish or even good guide fish. Like you are looking for a needle in a haystack and you're not yeah. looking, dude, you're not picking up a drop shot rod and, and, and going out to get, six bites periodically through the day you're looking for the mother loaded numbers or you're looking yeah. for those specific big fish that are going to win you the tournament and uh sometimes you have to look in less obvious places to find that right yeah and he, i mean when you when you're looking for fish for guiding you're looking for the easiest fish on the lake so yeah. you're looking for yeah. that point where you can just you know make one cast and catch multiple fish obviously that's not always the case but you uh when you're when you have that when you have that one area or one cast, uh, when you're guiding, it just makes everything so much easier. And, and I mean, you're not searching. And so it's that's just, it. but, but dude, that's, guide, that's rare, you know? Yeah. And a guide trip on pleasant is enough to put fear in anyone, dude. Guiding on pleasant's not always the go to Bartlett. <laughs> last <laughs> summer, last summer, pleasant was phenomenal. I mean, True. we had a ton of good trips. And if you, you, if you didn't get on the stripers first thing, you could rely on the largemouth later in the trip. And, and today I struck out on both, unfortunately. So the water's got to be uh, still dropping, right? Yes. Yeah. Right on. Still but it's super down. low probably by now. It's really low compared to what, yeah. I mean, I guess it's pretty normal for this time of year, but yeah, it's yeah. pretty low. September, so. it's like at its lowest, September, yeah. October, and then it turns around and starts going yeah. up. What's your take on when it turns around and starts coming back up? And for the listeners, it's uh, it's a lake that they pump water into starting in October usually, right? Yeah, yeah, I um, think so. Yep. They pump it in from the Central Arizona Project, which is a canal system. So it artificially fills up every year is right. the way I'd way yeah, to explain it. Way to put it what's your take on when the when it turns from dropping all summer and all of a sudden one day it just turns and starts coming up uh what six inches a day or whatever yeah, that's a that's a great question man i mean in, in the years when i was fishing it a ton i can't say i noticed like a massive difference in fish behavior whether it was going up or going down but when it would just get that low it was uh it was interesting. What, what you do notice is like it, the, when it starts to come back up, um, you're, it, you're changing season too, right? Like you're going from a summer pattern to a fall pattern. So, yep. I mean, it's, it's, you have all, every reason in the world to fish shallow. It, it goes from falling water and then a summer pattern where a lot of the fish will want to be out off the bank or chasing bait or something like that. And then all of a sudden you have rising water, and the fall's coming and fish are getting the bays getting pushed back into the bays. So it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you're using a lot of the same baits, top waters and stuff like that, but you're definitely focusing almost exclusively shallow, at least for yeah. that, you know, late September, October, early November. Right. Yeah. Are you the in same in my experience, the, the deep bite would just fall to pieces for sure. Like the predictability of the deep bite would fall apart. So, yep. That makes great sense, man. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Out of our central Arizona lakes, that lake is has always been the most hit or miss. And uh, the lake that's on fire right now is Roosevelt. It's unbelievable how good Roosevelt is, um, just in general. I went up there yesterday with my wife and kids. They've been begging to go on the did boat. You, and did you I take finally Parker? brought it home. I took everyone, dude. Yep. Nice. And uh, it was one of those days. We went in the middle of the day. We went all the way up there and I knew we weren't going to get much fishing. We did the typical swimming and all that stuff. We fished for 30 minutes, but and I went a four to, pounder. well, dude, no, I went, to, 
I went to a spot that uh, was really, really good years ago, dude. You know, the water level fluctuates so much. Right now it's like 65%. So you got to remember, okay, it's 65%. When's the last time I fished here when it was 65%? And uh, we pull up to this little place uh, and uh, we fish for uh, less than 30 minutes and uh, we caught several, dude. It was just like, and just drop, drop shotting straight down. That's awesome. Um, It's not that it's not a tournament winning hole or anything like that, but it was, I'll never forget doing a guide trip out there 10 years ago, we used to, the outfit I worked for had some bay boats and we would, sometimes we would have people just crammed on this bay boat. <laughs> they would stick families of six. Like, like a tuna fishing know. operation. Oh yeah, dude. And you're trying to bass fish. And just like Rob is saying, you're not going to go into the back of a creek and cast a <laughs> popper in between bushes. These people are going to be <laughs> yeah. doing that. So it was that and it was that exact scenario and it was an easy lake and an easy time dude and this this is the same spot it's like it's a little it's an offshore rock pile and i'm not exaggerating this sounds like an absolute exaggeration but we pull up to this spot this is 10 years ago and i i I, it's a family of five a father a wife a mother and three kids and they're all brand new fishermen and i have five drop shot rods set up. And I, I was like, just drop it straight down, let it open the, get to the bottom and hold it still. And dude, they did. And they caught five at once, dude. On the no. first cast, every single one of them hooked up, dude, straight down. I'll never forget it. We had to have caught a hundred fish that day. It was unbelievable. Oh, but, that's cool. Yeah. It was that same spot. And I don't think we could have done that. It wasn't that, that loaded, but you could sit there and catch 25 for sure. So it's a, uh, it's, as tough as they can be at some places that lake is that lake's so fertile right now it's unbelievable what did your kids think man did parker park how old is he now he's three dude emma was listen to this emma was stoked for the first fish and she reeled it in basically the whole way and then chantelle hooked up and she did not want chantelle catching fish dude (laughs) (laughs) She wanted the glory, dude. She wanted to be the one catching fish. She was screaming no and trying to take the rod from Chantel as she's ruined it. It's like you're not fishing, you're not catching fish. So we got to work on that. Clearly, no. She's a winner right there. I think Jacob Wheeler would approve of that. (laughs) It's all about that. <laughs> dude did parker catch any or is he still too young to he wasn't be yeah he game? was just happy to be out there he was driving cool. the boat and doing that stuff yeah but he, that's you know, his he, age he yeah. didn't reel anything in yet but uh it was kind of it was interesting i felt bad for chantelle dude because <laughs> I, I could fish but when chantelle would fish it was a no-no dude hilarious oh man the Good fishing stuff. didn't last long but it, it was a fun trip yeah i uh I guess it's about something we talk. I took my pontoon up to Roosevelt, uh, the 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 official boat of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast, and uh, um, I didn't do any fishing. But man, there was so many people on Saturday. Was a Sunday any better? Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't bad at all. That's the only reason I drove all the way up there was I was trying to get out of the traffic. But that lake has definitely been noticed since COVID started, dude. You used yeah. to be able to go up there on a holiday weekend and it would not even feel like a holiday weekend. And uh, now that the parking lots are full of wake and and, and, and uh, surf boats and stuff like that, they, people from Phoenix are realizing that, that it's a great getaway. To, if you jam. drive an extra hour, you can have a much better day. Did you get to go up to 60 or was that, I saw that there was some crazy erosion on that. It opened back up. So we nice. went, went that way. So that was good. I'm looking forward to get out in there, getting out there and seriously fishing a little bit soon. But uh, yeah. yeah. So, Hey, uh, one thing we had talked about in the last podcast and we got a little list of things here. Um, I talked about how I was trying to keep my boat dry and I was worried it was going to be wet. I had tons of messages from people when I picked up my boat to ask if it was dry oh. and it did stay dry. So thank you guys for paying attention uh, or, or for, uh, for asking. But so mine was good to go. Thanks to that <laughs> damp. I think it's called damp aid or something like that. But anyways, um, dude, Roy was not so fortunate. <laughs> I think I told this one to Rob. So we, we travel with a group of people and uh, Roy Hawk uh, angler from Arizona always stays in the house with us. He's one of our roommates. Roy ended up after our tournament at St. Lawrence, stayed up there and fished a Toyota series tournament on Champlain three weeks before our major league fishing event on Champlain. So Roy fishes, stays and fishes that. And then the day after 
the tournament, he goes out and does a filming day with uh, Garrick Dixon. He's a photographer. And then he covers his boat and goes home for two and a half weeks. Well, Roy gets in, flies into a different airport. I'm flying into Rochester. Roy flies into Burlington, gets his boat, and it stinks, dude. I mean, as he walks up to this thing, it's the covers <laughs> on, everything's shut. And it just stinks. And he knew something was wrong. And he didn't dare open it, dude. He didn't dare. Like, he just lifted the corner of the cover, and it was just like, poosh. I mean, just horrendous. So he doesn't even try to attack it that night. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, dude, one of those fish must have spit up a perch or something in the live well because they eat a lot of perch and alewives at Champlain. And uh, the next day, he goes to Walmart. He's got a plan. He's like, I'm going to Walmart. He gets gloves. Uh, like, uh, he was wearing a mask. Everyone's got masks still because of COVID, dude. So he's wearing a couple masks and uh, he's got bleach and everything he needs to get this thing cleaned out. Well, he gets the cover off and opens up the live well. And there's a skeleton of about a three and a half pound bass in his uh, oh. live well. And it's black. Oh. Everything in the live well is just black from mold. <gasps> from and, the camera uh, day he put a fish in there or what yes that's what it was at first i'm like dude did you leave one in the tournament way in four he's like no 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 that that came from the filming we put one in the live well and forgot about it <laughs> so uh dude he spent the entire off day before we started pre-fishing cleaning that thing out and he had it had it open every single minute that he wasn't on the water he had that thing open with the sun trying to trying to Kill bleach it. it yeah dude it still freaking smelled so um the smell had uh, first permeated through the whole boat. And by the end of the week, like you could really only smell it if you were close to the live well. But man, I, <laughs> he's going to have to take that thing back to Havasu and leave it open, uncovered for like a couple weeks to get that smell. Well, Havasu in about four hours, it'll burn off. Dude, no kidding. If you live, if there's one good place to live to burn off some mold, that's the place. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Not this year, though. I bet they have the same crazy humidity we have. It feels like Florida. Man, it's humid here this year. What percentage is the humidity here? I saw 89% wow. two nights ago. Dude, that's unbelievable, actually. Yeah. What is it on a daily basis, like right now? Mid-40s, I bet. Okay, right on. That is what I would guess. But it, for an Arizonan, it feels like freaking the Amazon rainforest. When it's 102 degrees, dude, that, that's hot. It is hot. I'm dying right now. Right now, it's 43% humidity. Okay, right on. In 90-some degrees lovely yeah well, feels dude, like I, 102 is what it says it's 95 says feels like 102 like heaven yep dude uh poor roy that's brutal man it was yeah it's funny now but yeah he had to attack that thing i felt for him dude it was it was nasty man did it um, give him bad karma executing a bass in such a manner yeah of course he missed the cut by like two places you know uh, <laughs> oh yeah the fast gods aren't gonna let that one dude go yeah you can't execute one in that fashion <laughs> exactly yeah yeah it's a, and he's the best guy ever he obviously that was obviously it was a mistake but definitely a bummer for him uh i want to give a shout out to jacob wheeler of course um he won another yet another tournament we talked to him last week coming up to champlain and then he goes out and just dominates this one again um you know he found what everyone was looking for everyone was looking for that out of the way mother load of big smallmouth that were on bait fish and um a lot of us had glimpses of that i saw it in practice i saw it in parts of each tournament day but he saw it when it counted and he saw it more than anyone else and he executed so he uh he won by over 30 pounds just dominated again that's three three wins in six events this year which i don't think i've ever seen that done on a national level tournament trail in my whole life not even close. I mean, Van Dam obviously is the greatest of all time up to this point, but like Wheeler's doing things that he never even thought of doing. I mean, I know he has classic wins. He has, I mean, he's got, you can't take anything from Van Dam, but what Wheeler's doing against the competition that he's doing it against is unreal. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's making a bunch of good, like unbelievable fishermen look like, you know, look like they're they're do, just playing in another league. It's, it's just league, it's yeah. crazy, man. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. So props to him. Um, I you know I watched the last day live, so I had a, I had a good tournament. I ended up finishing um, 14th overall. I was 12th in the knockout round, so 14th overall. 
and um, we fished a similar pattern. He just kind of had a, uh, an area that was a little bit better, you know, and, and um, it, for me anyways, it was kind of interesting because I went in 100% focused on smallmouth. And if you're going to smallmouth fish there, there's so many options. Like Champlain's a cool tournament lake because you could literally pick your poison and whether it's a five fish tournament or every fish counts, you could be effective and have a chance. And you saw it, you, the guys that did really well, some of them were flipping grass, some were, were uh, uh, throwing a vibrating jig, some were out in uh, 40 feet fishing a drop shot for roaming fish. Some were fishing rock piles, some were fishing grass lines. It was all kinds of, the, of, of stuff. And um, I had two deals in practice. I was fishing some deep boulder piles and then some grass lines. And I told both of you guys what I had found that one day in practice, I found one of the most incredible stretches of a grass line that I ever, ever seen in my life. Just like I could have sat there one, e one evening in practice and just caught three and a half to four pound smallmouth after three and a half to four pound smallmouth, as many as I wanted, as long as I wanted when they were there, it was unbelievable. Every cast, um, those fish moved on and every day. So they were clearly chasing alewives, you know, they were on bait. Um, and then the fish every day, I ended up having three solid days, but I had to find new fish every day. And it was kind of frustrating on that front, you know, because like where I was fishing, it was an area called Rouse's point. And anyone that's familiar with Champlain Rouse's point is really flat. It's like, it's kind of in a lake in itself. It's, I'd say it's probably three miles wide by five miles up and down. And it's, I, won't, I can't say flat as a pancake, but it's very flat. You know, 90% of it is eight to 11 feet deep. And there's a couple little, you could call them channels that run through that go, that drop into maybe 18 or 20, but it's flat, flat, flat. And you're just looking for grass lines and, um, and, and, and places where bait and, and, and bass would find is at least a stopping point, right? Like you're, they're not going to ever be in, in the same place at one time, but if you have a nice grass line and the wind gets to blowing and it creates some current along this grass line in the right direction, that's the type of place where the bait's going to sit and the fish are going to end up showing up too. So, um, you know, I figured one thing we could talk about in this episode, if we want to get a little technical is just fish that are, totally chasing bait fish it's how to find those fish and then how to catch them and how to try to stay on them you know it yeah. can be a frustrating thing but dude we all saw it with wheeler and i saw it myself in a couple of those scenarios like it can be so much fun when you connect with them you know the last day of the tournament i looked i had i had fished this one place probably five times through the day and caught a couple of fish just a couple, but there, there was some life there. So I kept coming back and with like 15 minutes to go, I look at my live scope, which is totally a huge deal for this style of fishing. I'm in nine feet of water and there's a fish, there's two fish right below me. And I, I told you guys, I dropped down, catch the first one. It's a high three, fight it all the way to the boat, look down again. And the other one is still sitting there and I dropped down and catch it. And it, and it was just oh. fish after fish after fish at the end of the day. And uh, that just goes to show when you get around the bait and, and it can be, it can be the most magical fishing ever. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So it's frustrating is all get out because you spend way more time scratching your head, trying to figure out where the heck are these fish at? Where do they go? But dude, when you run into them, bang, 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 bang. It, you know, every time I was fighting fish to the boat, there were, there were fish trying to eat the drop shot weight and get the uh, bait out of its mouth. And they're like, dude, I want that too. You know? Yeah. So, uh, there's, have, have you guys, uh, go ahead, Rob. I'm completely, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I can even talk on this subject because of, I mean, the, the live scope is such a different deal, but I, I know people want to know, like, what are you doing? And those fish are coming in flurries, like you said, right? So us yep. watching, watching the the live, and you know, all of a sudden you're falling a little bit in the standings, and then all of a sudden you catch three or four, and go way up. What's going on in in that in between time when you're not catching them? What are you doing to find them? Like what what's taking place? That's a good question. So and that's it's the what's that, Nick? Praying. Praying? Yeah, <laughs> seriously, dude. Well, here's one of the things, dude. It's 10 years ago, 
I would have never have reconnected with any of those schools of fish or found new, I would have probably bounced and tried something different and had a bad tournament and because that, I, I go ahead, Rob. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's why I'm asking this because I'm, I'm 10 years behind. Well, no, no, you're not, dude, but, but <laughs> oh, what am, I'm but saying, as, as a tournament angler, like, uh, obviously live scope is a huge difference huge. and we'll talk about yeah. that, but even just knowing how it works, right? Like knowing the process of, of, of how that lake sets up, what it takes to find the fish and just being confident and also hopeful that you'll run into them again. Right. Like it's, uh, it's just knowing that, that you might go four hours without catching crap, but when you run into them, you might catch 10 and they're all going to be big, you know, and, uh, and it's easy to bail on that, but, um, you know, so just being confident in the process that if I keep doing this, if I stay in this depth range and I keep hitting these grass lines and I pay attention to the direction the wind's blowing and I'm looking for bait, eventually I'm going to get that clue and, um, I'll run into them again. And, and each, go ahead, Rob. And when you say you're looking for bait, you're looking with your electronics. Live Life, yeah, for sure. But it, on a calm day, like there were some calm days where I could see some seagulls diving. Um, you could see some perch actually popping on the surface and stuff. And those were good keys for sure. So if you don't have live scope, not all is lost. You'll see them on your regular 2D sonar. But man, the difference on live scope, and it, it's huge because like there, there was one point on the second day, I was about to get knocked out of the cut. And um, I'd fished through a half mile grass line where I'd had a couple bites in practice catch nothing. And all of a sudden I started noticing a couple more perch. I'm like, man, I'm going to go another hundred yards. And all of a sudden I went a hundred yards past where I had fished any, at any point in practice or anything. And there are a million perch dude. And, uh, I throw into those perch and the first cast, I catch one second cast, I catch one. And I caught almost all my weight there, but, but watching the electronics for that bait was such a big uh -huh. deal. And the perch, like if you're fishing in Northern body of water and there are perch and maybe alewives. Those were those were common at Champlain, and that's common in a lot of places up north. But the perch are a lot more. They stay, they sit still, right? They don't move around as much. Like if you have a good perch, uh, a good place with perch, those fish will be there. How many times can I say perch in, in one minute? <laughs> Just hey, say Clifford. To, yeah, Just say Clifford. To Clifford perch lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I love when people spell his last name P E R C H. He, he needs to change. Crazy. He needs to change it. There's no reason why he hasn't yet. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Um, but so the perch are sedent, like they're sedentary. They're they, not they definitely are, dude. And you watch them on live scope, and with the fact that live scope is live, you could see them just sitting there. But when you get around alewives or shad, they are a lot tighter balled up and they move you watch them moving and swimming and like the perch there were a pretty solid bet but like the real gold was in the alewives and uh that was that was kind of an interesting thing to me but you'd see that's how you could really tell the difference and i was talking about it with roy a lot roy was telling me man that you're noticing the alewives are getting in the grass a lot more in the afternoons and that's exactly what happened on my best two afternoons that one afternoon of practice and then the last day of the tournament the alewives got into the grass and the fish just were stupid for them, you know, and the perch fish, they were a little bit smarter. You had to kind of fish for them and drop one right on their face. But those, you get around those alewives, man. And it was unbelievable. Wow. So um, you, so when you talk about following bait, you know, I think in stupid, silly, like visuals, but one of them's like trying to catch a knuckleball, right? Like, you, you know, kind of like the vicinity of where it's going to be, but at the end of the day, it just, it goes left, it goes right, it goes up, it goes down. You're just, trying to you know connect with it yep. so you had mentioned that that place you were fishing it was a grass line and then it was pretty flat and shallow so were there just grass lines that intersected those channels or little drop-offs was that like kind of how you start and then start looking to see if you can find bait in and around like those apex premier areas or like how do you put that puzzle together? That's, that's perfect, man. Yeah. And that's the easiest, best place to start looking, right? Because anytime you have a, a, a bottom transition, you're likely to have a grass line right along that. And that's one of the key obvious places. Um, and some of them were on that, the real sneaky stuff, the stuff that I had ended up finding throughout the tournament that was, that ended up being really good. And maybe even what Wheeler was on 
sometimes that's that's the stuff that's hard to find where it's on the flat man and, and there might uh -huh. be not much of a depth change but something will change in the bottom transition and it'll it'll go from you know kind of a sandy bottom and then you'll get just a random grass line for whatever reason and that was also that was some of the hidden gold and that was like you know that that perch spot i talked about that was kind of one of those hidden places like that and wait you know you could fish to find it or you could graph to find it you know if you if you are a boat owner and and you are ever in a situation like this i used to think it wasn't that important to be able to read my electronics on pad uh -huh. It was nice to see the depth, know if you're about to blow off your lower <laughs> unit, but I used to not really care fishing in Arizona that much about seeing my electronics on pad because all of our lakes are deep. And then when I'm idling, I'm looking anyways, right? But if you can get a good, get your transducer set up for your 2D sonar to read clearly on pad, it's a monster game changer on grass lakes oh. because you can cover so much water and mark grass lines on plane. And you can run uh, through an area that is very, very subtle. Yeah. You like, like just a, a, this three to five mile flat and just start doing grids on pad. And every time you see the, you know, it'll be, you'll see nothing, nothing. And then just a blip. And then you keep, and that's a grass mat or a grass line and you uh, mark it. And then you come back and go back 200 yards down the way. And then you see it go and then you mark it. And by, by the time you're done, you've spent, five minutes running around on pad and you just mark <laughs> a very discreet grass line that's a quarter mile long and then you can go through and fish it if you were just trying to find that by fishing oh. it would take for absolutely ever so how one one thing that i do is i run a setup where i run a i run separate transducers for the side imaging and my regular 2d sonar so okay. i run a gt36 transducer which is down which is clear view basically down scan and side imaging side view on externally outside the hull. But if you can get a good shoot through the hull transducer, I run a GT eight from Garmin shoot through the hull. That's going to, you're going to see bottom on pad way better. Cause you don't have all the, the churning from the boat on pad on your transducer. So, uh -huh. um, I'm not sure I can't speak for any of the other electronics brands, but if you're a Garmin guy, you can, run that GT8 through the hull. And if you install it right, you'll see on pad. And uh, every grass lake that we ever go to, like that's how I found a lot of grass uh, when we were at the Harris chain and had a good tournament there fishing it. But like, you're so much more efficient. And huh. um, whether you just have one day to go fun fishing or if you're trying to pre-fish in a day or two for a tournament, like being able to see that stuff on pad is a huge difference. And it has to be calm. You can't do it in three footers, <laughs> but if you have a decent, decent weather day, it helps a lot. Yeah. Makes sense for sure. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I've never had a boat that uh, I could read anything on pad. It was usually just, yeah, nothing. Well, and they've come a long way, dude. I don't even know if uh, 15 years ago, if you could, like if there was anything that was capable of that, yeah. but um, now it certainly is for sure. Nice. So you can eat a sandwich and go 90 miles an hour and find grass lines. You're yeah. like a model of efficiency. Exactly. As and I wash the boat at the same <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like a fool. Well, anyways, uh, um, th those are just some ways to find them. You know, the, whatever the, the wind, the wind blowing into an area, it's, everyone knows it is going to blow bait into an area too. That wind creates current. And if you can find something that, that the wind is blowing into, you know, and, and if you ever are on fish that are related to bait and the wind starts blowing out of the North, start working your way South until you run into those fish, because yeah. that's, that's where they've very likely gone. I've, you know, there might be another group of fish coming from the North that came to you, but um, sometimes you run into them. Sometimes you don't, but you have to be patient with it. And this is grass line fishing, but it's really no different in the open water. Like, you know, uh, suspended smallmouth that we're chasing bait, um, happens at lake mead a lot you know all these clear water lakes man you get into the late summer early fall and then fall they become so nomadic and mm -hmm. they used to almost without electronics it was like okay let's go find some easier fish to catch but now that you've got all this technology with live scope you can go hunt those fish and i don't think there's a better way to catch them even still than a drop shot because you can be so precise with it and those fish are hungry dude like when those those fish that are on bait, there's no convincing them to bite because they're not pressured. They aren't, uh -huh. they're, they're swimming around in a, in a school, just eating and hunting all day long. And when they see something, 
doesn't matter if it's a drop shot, just free falling through 40 feet of water or what, dude, they're just going to bite it. I mean, it's, 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 they, they don't take much uh, convincing. Yeah. What was, what was your tackle setup? Did you catch them mainly on a drop shot? Did you catch them on a spy I, bait? I threw, I threw both. When it would get slick calm, I threw that spy bait and I caught a couple big ones doing that and a handful of fish, you know, the first two days on that. The last day it was real windy. I didn't throw the spy bait at all. But one thing also um, when fish are looking up for bait is uh, you fish your drop shot a lot differently, right? Like, so when we fish our drop shot out west or even for the goby eating smallmouth up north, you keep your bait on the bottom at all times. Like you cast it or you drop it and then you get it on the bottom and it stays on the bottom. Well, this style fishing, the fish are completely looking up for bait, whether they're perch or alewives or shad or whatever. So at, I would never let my bait sit on the bottom for more than three seconds. You would cast, let it hit the bottom and reel it in. Cast, let it hit the bottom and reel it in. And if you make a long cast, you're just wasting time because it takes longer to reel it in. So I'm making uh-huh. 25 foot pitches in all directions, 25 pitch there, 25 pitch there, 25 foot pitch there. And, uh-huh. and every time you get a bite, it was as soon as you went to pick up. So, really? Uh, very so they follow it down? Yeah, they follow it. Sometimes they'll eat it on the fall, but 90% of the time, percent of the time, they'll follow it down and eat it as soon as it hits the bottom. <laughs> and wow. uh, it's, it's really pop. You'll see it a lot at St. Clair when we go there next month. But uh, a lot of that grass line fishing, you waste, you might catch a fish fishing it back to the boat. But dude, you would have caught at the end of the day, you're going to catch five times more if you just cast it. And, and anytime you guys are drop shotting listeners, like doesn't matter where, where you're, doing it and what you're doing it for if you're noticing that most of your fish that a huge percentage of your bites are coming as soon as you pick up on it stop working it all the way back to the boat and start making more casts you know yeah but kind of different and i was using a three eighths ounce weight so it was that's what i was gonna ask i mean like but just efficient right those fish where they're 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 hunters and they're wanting to eat with a flatworm of course using a flatworm and the brown back color the most sought after cover color because it looks like just like bait fish but yeah it's almost like a cuss word saying brownback flatworm because people are having such a hard time getting them but um so yeah, hopefully uh if you guys get the chance stock up this winter for all the listeners even though you're not fishing this winter just buy them as soon as they're available and have them ready for next summer do you have to hide from guys in the morning begging for those <laughs> things i'm expecting my truck to get broken into man yeah just yeah. for those stupid <laughs> worms man but uh it's funny uh, what sorry uh, to go- do you, sorry, so do you Texas trigger? Do you just nose hook it? Like what's the. That's just a nose hook deal because it's small mouth and and you're around grass, but you're not fishing it through the grass. So you don't need to fish it weedless because it just goes straight down once and then you reel it in. So. Is that um, hydrilla? I can't remember what kind of grass that is. There were, there are different types of grass. There's milfoil, but mainly I was fishing around cabbage, which is not a great type of grass. Like the fish don't like to live in the cabbage, but they like to get around it and use it as cover. So that's a total Northern type of grass. We don't have any cabbage here in Arizona, but, and I don't know if that's the technical name, but they call it cabbage. The fish are <laughs> called cabbage. Only in street um, tacos here. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, unless you guys have anything else, I'll move past that, man. Sorry to ramble on forever. No, that's, that's just awesome, dude. That's stuff that, that I know I want to know about. And I'm sure our listeners eat that up too. Cause you sit and you sit and watch it on live and you just, you're not getting the full story from yeah. sure. the, the approach, you know? And I just feel like, man, there's just so much alchemy with offshore fishing. Like I, I love learning and hearing about it, man. Like anyone can pound the bank and go down the bank, but like catching fish offshore and learning the nuances of that and the seasonal patterns and how that affects the already almost like magical component of that. It's cool. I dig that so much. It, everywhere you go is so different too. Like the yeah. lake right, well, the, you go to Lake Ontario right down the street from there kind of down the street but in the grand scheme of things down the street and you're fishing for a rock dwelling goby eating smallmouth that that don't swim two feet up off the bottom and uh these fish couldn't be more different man and you catch them and they look totally different but everywhere you go is so different but so that's where you kind of have to if you're going and, and and taking a road trip or going to a new lake to fish a tournament you can't ignore how the locals fish because there's a reason they yeah. fish that way. And dude, I mean, it's, it's, 
you can't be a guy that says, I just drop shot this way or I just <laughs> throw a jig this way because it works at your lake, but you need to be able to uh, change it up in different Adapt. places for sure. In, Go ahead, the, Rob. And the main reason is what their forage is. That's what the whole thing. Reason. It's all around right. the forage. Yep. Right. Yeah, you guys, can, you can catch them on top water at Champlain and you can't catch them on top water at some of those other places. Yeah, St. Right? Lawrence, go through a topwater right now, dude. I mean, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Champlain, they'll blow up a super spook or a big walking jaywalker any day of the week, dude. So, yep, kind of cool, man. It's a cool lake. A lot of people say it's their favorite lake. The first time we went there, I got my butt whooped, and uh, I didn't understand it fully. And getting to spend another week on it really makes me want to continue to go back. And it's such a huge lake, dude. I haven't scratched the surface on I mean, dude, I, you look at the map at the big map and I could show you the areas I fished and it, it's a pin, it's a, 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 you know, pin drop, dude. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing yeah. as far as the lake. It's a hundred, what, 120 miles long. It's huge. Crazy. Wow. How big yeah. is an alewife? Is that a bigger bait fish or are they pretty small? They are, aren't they? It is. No, dude, it, it's big. It, it, yeah, it reminds so. me a lot of blueback herring. Okay. They might be in the same family. They the look light. a lot like it and they're a lot lot three, like the same size three probably, four or five inches probably so yep yeah yep yep yeah but those cool those fish are such eaters every time you're reeling one in they're throwing up they're spitting <laughs> out dude like everyone you catch is going to spit up two or three big bait fish on the way in you know they're just eating all day long it's it's cool um let's see i wrote a couple other things down um here's one one interesting thing that i wanted to get you guys's opinion on this a buddy of mine fished a tournament and we're going back to Arizona here, but he fished a tournament at Roosevelt yesterday. He's been having a great summer. He's won a few tournaments up there, um, but they're crushing the fish before dark. And then as soon as it gets dark, they, they literally, I mean, it goes from catching a, a fish on every cast and, and they stay on the same spot and then they can't get a bite for the rest of the night. And I've heard this from three different guys now. And uh, why, why in the heck do you guys think that could be dude? And it wasn't like that 10 years ago out there. I think it was. Was it? I, yeah. I mean, I've had some nights where I caught a lot of fish on that lake, man. You know, I, I agree. I think it's the way the lake's setting up right now. It's still, it's got too much water in it. And even 10 years ago when you had it, but you, I can't say that because you caught them when the lake was high too at night, right? Or are you Pretty saying? I do it at this level for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I guess that theory is wrong, but where were you know. going with that? Just that there was too much open. There's just too much for them to cover they with just, the water being high. There's just cover. There's just a lot of yeah. brush and they just, but that, that theory's, I guess that theory's no good, but I've seen it. Maybe it's the time of year. Um, maybe in June, it's a different story when those fish are that a little more be. committed to the structure. Now we've had such a um, uh, strong monsoon season, which in Arizona is just uh you know, you get these evening rains or it's been actually crazy During this year. Day. All day rains. Yeah. Pretty nuts. But I think that changes what's going on there uh, with the water temperatures throughout the whole water column. And I know not, I'm not, I'm not talking intelligently cause I don't know, but I know that has something to do with it. So, that makes sense, yeah. dude. I'll tell you one thing as we're talking, I think uh, that lake right now is so shad forage oriented that, Mm. And the, the, it, like, so if you go back when the lake was lower or just before the gizzard shad blew up, think the crawfish thing, they could get crawfish all night easily. And dude, it's gotta be hard to track down shad in the dark, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> do you think that's something, there's something to that where they, all they want to do is eat shad and then it's hard. They're like, we can't catch you guys at night. So we're going to just suspend and wait to take eat, a eat nap in the morning. Very possible. I mean, um, uh, when I fished up there, I don't know, it was probably a month and a half ago. I mean, it was, as soon as it got dark, you could see the difference on the graph on how they lift fish, off the bottom. Yeah. They just, everything's up off the bottom. Even the next morning we fished that evening and it was really good. And as soon as it started getting dark, it got weird. And the next morning was even a little strange how they were setting up. So interesting. You, when you guys, when you guys want to catch them on the bottom and it's a summer bite and you see the bait fish suspended 10 feet off the bottom man it's the worst thing yep. that you could ever see <laughs> yep go to another place you really go have to a different to. part of the lake yeah because it's i don't know everybody talks about catching suspended fish but suspended largemouth in arizona are not very friendly so yeah you're right dude it's 
And when they're in this phase, for sure. I, yeah. Yesterday, just in that little sample that I, I did, I went, we went and started in that one spot and you could see the fish were on the bottom. Everything was on the bottom. And we drove 10 miles to a different part of the lake and I just idled it. It was a zone where I knew some buddies had been catching them. I just idled over it to see what things looked like. And everything was up off the bottom. I'm like, dude, I don't think we can catch one right now. Even though I know guys are catching big bags right here, I don't think we could do it right now. So kind of interesting how uh, it just different different areas. They're just it, go 10 miles and it's a completely different ecosystem. Go ahead. And they're catching those big bags though in, in night tournaments, right? In that yeah, last hour right before of light. Dark. Not so at one o'clock. Yeah, they've had all day to settle in and, and push down and then get ready to feed right before dark, you know, so... I don't know. Interesting. It's there's it's been a different year for sure. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. One guy had said they thought maybe the Florida strain fish act different, but I don't I don't agree with that because they bike so good at Saguaro and Canyon yeah. at night. So it's something it, it's dude, how often you just said it earlier, but it, it falls back on forward so much. Yeah, and how much how much has that Florida strain influence those fish yet, do you think? Yeah, that's a good point. It's not like they stocked 8 million of them, dude. Right. Like there's still, it'd be interesting to know. Uh, and I'm no biologist, so I can't even speculate, but I have no idea. I mean, they look like Roosevelt fish of 15 years ago. I mean, they still look the same. Yeah. When so. we start seeing a bunch of 12s, we'll know there's a yeah. Florida strain right. in there, dude. F only. <laughs> it's going to be good for the next couple of years without a doubt. Um, well, you know, it's, it's super hot. It's the middle of the day. Nick, you got school pickup today. Oh, well, you know it. Just trying to figure out which one of my decrepit needing to be junked cars I should drive today to go pick them up. And that, you know, that's the simple pleasures in life, but there's nothing like, you know, they still do this weird pickup and drop off routine. I, I guess it's a fallout from COVID, but you have to sit in line with everyone. So I always get a, a ruse out of sitting in something that's probably going to overheat vibrating rattling smoking it's just i don't know it's the simple Dude. pleasures in life hey listen to this real quick and, and don't no one's ever going to hear this that was a part of this but uh <laughs> and, and this lady this is my wife's friend she's a really nice lady uh great great lady but um she is texting my wife or calling my wife uh, a couple weeks ago and she's like oh yeah i'm i'm waiting I'm waiting in my hot car for my uh, son to get out of school again. It's terrible. And, uh, and uh, I'm like, why is she waiting in a hot car? Chantel's like, she's, well, she told Chantel that if she, she thinks if she runs the engine too long, her battery will die. Stop. <laughs> so every day in the hundred degree Arizona heat, she go for years has go, been going to pick up her son and turning her car off and sitting in the Arizona heat. So the battery doesn't die smart well we can't blame her for climate change she inadvertently saved us all but that's a i don't I'm know one, i'm that. not anyone to talk dude i don't know crap but i felt <laughs> i felt bad for her on that one i was like tell her to, that she can run her car i've had i've had many days with my scariest suburban where i've had to shut it off and sweat but that was only because the temperature gauge was getting about 380 and i figured it was time to shut it off if i had any prayer getting home but uh, the battery was doing all right <laughs> the battery didn't die from idling huh? no the it was happy it was working nice right <laughs> well uh that's cool. And then, hey, one last thing I want to float out for the uh, for the listeners, all three of us, we've been talking about it a little bit, and uh, I don't, I, there's no beans to spill, but we're talking about trying to do some type of fun fishing event at some point this winter. So we don't know what we're going to do yet, but it would be awesome to be able to just ha have a good time, whether it's a day or two days, an overnight deal, where we just go, we pick a, we pick a good lake out here somewhere in the southwest, and uh, we fish, barbecue, camp um have a little anglers happy hour so if uh we'll have more details if if you know if you guys think it's a good idea and you'd be interested in coming drop drop us a line let us know in the comment section on uh, itunes send us a message on facebook or instagram you can email us but uh just just uh, let us know if you're interested and then then we can start to gauge like what type of event we might we might have but we want to make it fun not too complicated um 
I don't think we're any of us are going to try to get a tournament permit, so we won't have a tournament, but we're just going to have fun. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, well, I know you guys had told me, and I'll just let the listeners know too, that you both are really pushing to take a bus into Mexico for the Angler's Happy Hour fishing experience, no. right? Oh, I wish someone could have saw Rob's face. Dang it. Should have took that picture. Rob is ready to go. He's got his bus ticket. He's he's going to catch an Uber to Central Phoenix Bus Depot, and off he's going to go. Well, no, Join the us. diehards are, that's for sure. That's dude. right. We'll weed out the week. <laughs> that's funny but i don't know i think it would be cool and uh, it's something that we're gonna start looking at we'll try to put it together sooner than later so everyone's got some time to plan uh if three people show up three people show up and we'll have fun but um hopefully uh, hopefully we get to meet a bunch of you or hang out with a bunch of you that we already know and uh, it'll be cool so we'll keep you guys posted and uh anything else before we shut this off no, I think that's it, man. Good to catch up with you guys. Glad you're back safe. Josh, when uh, when is the next one? How long are I've, you home? I've got about three weeks before the next one. So, um, yep, got. We'll, we'll have a few more episodes before we get on the road again. That's the last regular season tournament. So, um, everything's looking good, man. And uh, we'll all hopefully be able to enjoy the rest of the month uh, here in Arizona. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, big thanks, and we'll talk to you all next week.